Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Exactly. Gotta let you sin a little bit if you're doing him a favor. everybody and welcome back to Dungeon Deep Dive or I guess welcome to Dungeon Deep Dive if this is your first time joining us. Um, if it is then get ready for uh, a wild ride. Yeah some some fun exciting stuff for you today. We're going to talk about breakfast. Ooh, yes. ooh so sexy. Uh, now we should <laughs> <laughs> I didn't sexy like that. breakfast. I really didn't enjoy saying that. So for the loyal listeners at home and for anyone new just letting you know that uh, Danae is actually out sick. She won't be in uh, this recording or probably next week's either. So apologies. The voice of restraint and the voice of reason is gone. Yeah. Oh, and I will clarify that the reason she's going to be out for... Multiple episodes. Multiple episodes is because we record multiple episodes at once. She's not like... She's not in hospital, in hospital dying. She's no. just not here tonight. She's just ill. It's okay. Danae will return. Yes. In um, Avengers Infinity War. Uh, I should say right at the top, thank you... So much to everyone who is listening. Um, as of recording, we have just passed 500 subscribers, which That's is insane. absolutely fantastic. Uh, it warms my heart that you all listen to us and that you're so keen to be, uh, you know, to be a part of this project that we've created. Yeah, it's been really fun and it's good to see that it seems like some people are enjoying it too. Yeah. Um, if you ever feel like you want to, I don't know, be more a part of things, feel free to reach out. Uh, our socials are everywhere. You'll find them. Exactly. And um, thank you to Joel from Sweden for reaching out to us and sharing your thoughts on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah. I'd love to hear more from you. That was so cool to see. Thanks. Beautiful. Well, as far as you know, starting this off, Lachlan, do you want to take us away with a little bit of the history of breakfast as we go? Yeah. So history has kind of shown, I think in a lot of respects, that it's far too easy to take things for granted in our in our daily lives. Oh like yes. Breakfast, for example, seems like such a like a staple of of not just our diet, but like of our day. Well, it's just become something that I guess we, we just assume is part of everyone's day because it is so important. You see seen as a bit weird if you don't have breakfast. Yeah, but it's actually a fairly, I mean, in terms of the whole scope of human history, it's fairly recent. Um, so the, uh, the first word, the first like English word for breakfast or like a similar concept was actually originally the origin word for dinner. It was the old English word disner, which um, literally just means break a fast. Oh, wow. So yeah. it's... It just means you were fasting during the day, you ate at night. Yeah, so, um, and then eventually, the, so the weird thing is, I guess it's like kind of as English was modernising through the 13th century. Okay, yeah. Um, yep, those lovely, lovely dark ages. Yeah, Disney shifted to mean dinner. And there was kind of this like middle period where they instead called the morning meal 
Morgan meant Morgan meat. That was the old English term for morning meal. Ah. Um, I believe. Yeah, morning meal. There you go. But then 15th century comes along and oh. they're like, we do fast though. And I feel like it's more important that it's about fasting than the morning, right, guys? And everyone was like, yeah, we yeah, shouldn't I have guess. changed it. And then we started, so then we started calling it breakfast again. But like breakfast this Modern time. breakfast rather than Disney. Yeah, because Disney was now dinner and they were like, I guess we have to make up new words for it. Fuck it. We'll just do a portmanteau of the other ones that we already had. We should have used from the beginning. Etymology is wild. How weird, right? That's crazy. A word that was originally designed to mean things that we, something we already had the words for, then shifted to be something that we invented, and we then just used the original words combined (laughs) to be the new one. I back it though. Yeah. We just like adopted the definition. Anyway, breakfast's been around for a while, or breakfast foods have been around for a while. Mm. The sorts of like grains and stuff that we associate with breakfast uh, were found, I mean, dating back to in what is now present-day Jordan. Uh, they found traces of uh, like flatbreads and porridges and stuff. It's like this um, using like cereal grains yeah, is I what we call them. Like the wheat, rye, oats, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, because we have, like, eight core grains that make up, like, human diets, and three of those um, are cereal grains. Oats, what is it? Oats, wheat, and... Oh, I have it somewhere. Can you find... Do you know what it is? Um, Do you know which three? I'll do a quick search. Um, While you look for that. So, that was the Natufian culture that was was credited with, um, like, starting that. It was before we even had agriculture, back when they were just, like, finding things. Oh, wow. So they, they weren't even growing it. They were just like, oh, here's some grains. Let's eat it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, so then like in the Neolithic era, which is, uh, if I remember correctly, characterized by the uh, discovery of, also, I guess, the, the conception of agriculture, mm. the beginning of agriculture, they got like really into cereal grains. Um, they made like porridges. Uh, they would like take the hulls off of the grains, obviously. And then they would like grind them down and make like porridge. And they made... Um, Oh, okay. Mostly just porridge. Here we go. Oh, yeah. here we go. The uh, Three of the eight so-called founder crops are cereals, Wikipedia tells us. Emma wheat, einkorn wheat, and barley. There you go. That's uh, three of our founder crops, which um, I think we should pay more respect to. Uh, to, because, the, like, to the founding crops. Yeah, well, fa- I'm, I'm done with founding fathers. I'm here for founding crops. We've had enough of this America-centric... Uh, attitudes. It's about the founding crops. Yeah, I don't give a shit who wrote the constitution. I want to know what cereal's made of, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so then around 7,000 BC, they started domesticating crops, um, like really like tailoring them to human interests. Oh, yeah. That's wild. Domesticating crops. You always mm. think about it in terms of like animals. Yeah, I, but again, because it's like something like crops, something like having just modern yeah. wheat is something that we like... Can so easily take for granted, but like yeah, someone had to do it, and it adapted for the purposes that we. Mm. So the, the cereals that we have now, the grains that we have now, are adapted and selected from specific strains so that they can maximize food production and minimize resource use. Yeah, I, take a guess, Tolly. What year that was? I'll give you a hint. It's BC. Um, what year do you think they started domesticating crops? Ooh. I see. I want to guess something like a thousand, like on, 
I would say it's just breaking the, the four digits. Fertile Crescent, 7,000 BC. 7,000. 7 fucking thousand. Yeah. Oh, apparently that's where the first libraries were found. First libraries and mm. the first cereals. First libraries, uh, 4,500 years ago, apparently. You heard it here first. Cereal wrote books. <laughs> there is a direct correlation between cereal and libraries. Yeah. It makes sense. It tracks. Yep, it tracks. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of like you're talking about breakfast, um, it's like it's mentions in literature. Uh, I mean, in the Odyssey and the Iliad, they talked about um, Ariston, which was a meal like after sunrise. Um, the Iliad talks about like a woodsman who's like exhausted and wants some breakfast to, I guess, kind of bolster him before his like long day. Okay. Um, so it's typically, this kind of reflects like an attitude around ancient times in general. And you see it a lot through, um, the kind of like Catholic history of it as well. Um, there was a kind of this attitude that like breakfast was okay if you needed it. So but like, ideally young, you don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the young and the sick and the elderly and like laborers and stuff were expected to have breakfast because they needed some breakfast to begin their day. But like, if you were just a regular person, then I mean, I'm, Thomas Aquinas said that breakfast was sinful. See, what I'm seeing here is a, a, a direct correlation between cereal, uh, between breakfast and sex in Catholicism. I mean, it's okay if you have to have it, but you're not not having it for fun. Well, <laughs> funny you should say that because and I'm kind of I'm just kind of jumping around here. Jumping around a little bit. But there was an era Here we go. Yeah, there was an era where it was presumed that if one ate breakfast, it was because one had other lusty appetites. Oh, wow. So there is a direct correlation between breakfast and sex. Yeah. Well, because literally, like Thomas Aquinas, because you know how influential Thomas Aquinas was. Yeah. Thomas Aquinas said, associated it with gluttony. So then like just like brought it into the realm of deadly sin. And so if you're a glutton, Obviously, you were also lustful. Yeah, there's overlap in the, like, early... Back when the deadly sins were, like, really prevalent in literature, like, there was massive overlap between them. It was all about, like, human weakness. Um, there you go. Yeah, like, it was, this is for the weak. It was in Summa Theologica. Uh, he said that it was... That if you eat breakfast, you were committing pre-propere, or the sin of eating too soon, which was associated with gluttony. Um, and the church oh. seemed to agree. Um, throughout like the Middle Ages and the medieval period, in the medieval period, it kind of like disappeared altogether. Um, nobody ate breakfast. Because um, it was sinful. It was super sinful. And the church had like massive control in that era. Um, and so then like in the Middle Ages, they kind of eased off a bit. And again, it became like a necessity thing. It's weird because so many of these scholars were drawing from like the Greek, but throughout like ancient Greek history, like as soon as they got rid of the meal that they were talking about in like the Iliad and the Odyssey, they came up with a more practical one that was uh, acratisma, which was consumed, which was the meal after rising because the other meal was like, was like with the dawn. So then like the standard person would eat when they woke up. Yep. And that was like um, bread and wine, um, sometimes like figs and occasionally uh, uh, some variations of like pancakes. And then throughout Roman history, they were fine with it as well. Um, There was accounts of from the first century, through to the 16th century of a Roman meal called 
Gentaculum? I think Yentaculum. Yentaculum, probably. Think, yeah, because it's also spelled with an I at the beginning sometimes. Yeah. So that would that'd say it's Yentaculum, I think. But my... If anyone uh, majors in Latin, <laughs> can they uh, let us know? If there's anything that studying law has taught me, it's that you have no hope of guessing how Latin was pronounced. So just say what it looks like. <laughs> That's fair. Because uh, they were like buck wild back then. Uh, the pronunciation is just so, so different now. Um, I mean, modern day English, we have spelling bees. Yeah, exactly. It's, what it's other fucking language does that? None. What other language prides itself on being too complicated to use properly? <laughs> oh, it's so ridiculous. But like, so the, and the, but the, yeah, the Romans were fine with it. They would have like porridge and stuff kind mm. of whenever it seems. Uh, in the first century, they were talking about how it was like, Super early in the morning, it was like 3 a.m. And then in like the 16th century, it was like 4 p.m. So I guess they just like ate porridge at some point. They just, yeah, they just ate a meal at some point, And whether it was at the beginning or the end of the day or somewhere in the middle, didn't really matter that much. Mm. Yeah, but then like all of a sudden, the English take over and they're like, hmm, no, no breakfast for you. And they just like stop eating breakfast for like hundreds of years. Because um, I mean, like the king and stuff would just kind of, Fucking eat a couple times. The English ruined so many things in the Middle Ages. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. We we constantly come back to this, that the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, just everything broke. Just, they broke everything. Truly, honestly. They just, like, ruined everything, and we had to start again. They burned the Library of Alexandria. They um, destroyed a bunch of languages. They took over a bunch of countries. It just... Nothing went well after that. Yeah, they just kind of f- fucked everything and then just left us to deal with it. It's, I mean, kind of rude, honestly. Yeah. Someone should talk to them. Someone should talk to the English about this. Get the Queen on the line. <laughs> uh, you could, the one exception was, like, if you were, like, a noble traveller, you could eat. Um, so, like, if you were on, like, a, the king, for instance, on a pilgrimage okay. was able to eat as much as the king needed to get through his pilgrimage. Hmm. Um, so if you were like influential and doing something that they thought was important, then they'd be like, eh, we'll let you eat. There you you need the energy. See, it's funny that you say that because I would have associated a pilgrimage with fasting. Yeah, well, it's bizarre because it seems like they were favoring function like over form in that sense. But then it's weird that they frowned on it in other contexts, even though they recognized the benefit of it in some it just seems, you know? Just preferential treatment for the rich. Well, I guess it was, I guess they would have justified it by saying that, because the nobility at then were the, like, religious elite, you know? So they probably would have justified it by being like, well, if you were noble and going on, like, an adventure, then it was an adventure probably ordained by God. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Um, and if God's ordained the adventure, then God's ordained the breakfast. Hmm. Exactly. God will let you sin a little bit if you're doing him a favour. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, in the, like the 13th century, they started uh, eating like bread and meat and beer and stuff in the morning and would just like kind of eat whatever during the day, like just, whenever they could, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, they would just kind of eat something, graze throughout. Oh, sorry, not meat. Specifically not meat in the 13th century. It was like bread and grains and Bread and beer. grains and wine. And then, and- no, well, not wine. Nobody could afford wine in the 13th century. Unfortunately, unlike the Egyptians, the rich people didn't like to share it with people. Right. Did you know that the Egyptians did that? They would, like, once a year have a festival where they would just, like, let poor people drink wine. 
Ah, I, I vaguely recall reading something like that, but I, it was cool. It wasn't something I was actively aware of. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I thought it was neat. Uh, 15th century, they started adding meat. Um, and like the nobility started getting like real into breakfast. Um, and then by like the 16th century, they put, added like caffeinated beverages to it. And then we were kind of off to the races. Yeah. And that's kind of where, where breakfast as a whole started taking off. Hmm. And then, so then we get into like what is considered modern breakfast, which is basically 1500s to now, um, which is pretty standard stuff. I'll just like run through it kind of quickly. Yeah. Um, so like in Africa, it's typically like locally available things uh, like grains and fruits and veggies. Mm. Um, sometimes if it's like part of their traditional diet, there'll be like milk and some meat, sometimes like curds and stuff. But yeah. that's really just like depending on... It's if you've got a community that has access to a lot of dairy. Yeah, I believe... I couldn't find who specifically did that, but it's just like some, t- some cultures ha- have a more inclusive of animal products in their diet. So they have that yeah. in their breakfast. Um, in... Oh God, sorry. In the like f- 1823, I believe, the Bible Cyclopedia was published that uh, detailed a few cultures kind of eating habits around this time. Um, around, like, the early 19th century. So, yeah. like, in uh, what was considered at the time, like, the Arabian world. Um, I don't know what the... What would the f- term for that now be? Um, Is that still, like, the accurate I would terminology? say the Middle East may be the closest to, but it probably is a very different sort of cultural border. Yeah, so in, like, that part of the world, they would sometimes have, like, locusts and butter, huh. um, which sounds fun. Oh, I would I would be absolutely on board for that. Uh, around that same time, the Egyptians had talked about something like breakfast, but they didn't actually eat. They just like smoked a pipe and had some coffee, and they were like, "I'll eat later," <laughs> which is such a mood. I mean, that is. I know people who will just have a cigarette and a beer, and then that's their breakfast. So you know, pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, mood. Yeah, mood. Uh, refusing to eat breakfast and just getting drunk instead is a cultural universal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In the Middle East, uh, in like Middle Eastern cuisine, they often, they have their meal, iftar, is the like named meal that they were having around this time, I believe was Mm. called, was like an evening meal. Um, Like when they broke fast, I believe specifically during Ramadan. Okay. Yeah, because um, you've got to eat after the sun goes down. Yeah, iftar may not have been. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it was. Uh, so that was kind of their breaking their fast thing, um, because Ramadan, obviously, uh, for those who don't know, is a long period where people in people of the Muslim faith don't eat from sunrise to sunset. Yeah, um, it's it's a period of very of huge. Um, Religious significance. Yeah, it's like what Lent was before it was kind of, before it became like... It's what Lent's supposed to be. Yeah, it, it's like the biblical definition of Lent um, is, is a lot closer to what is currently practiced as Ramadan, as yeah. far as I'm aware. And there's, there are more elements to it than just fasting. There's um, more regular prayer. I believe that's when you're supposed to, from the pillars of Islam, you're supposed to give um, a portion of your um, yearly earnings to charity. I believe that's when it's supposed to happen. Okay. Um, yeah, there, there is a whole bunch more stuff. Um, if you're interested in, in religion and religious sort of, I guess, festivals, but it's more like a period of, of more strict religious uh, worship, you know, we should be learning a little more about 
about Muslim culture because it's well, it's another culture that is becoming part of ours. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's there's never any never anything good that could come from learning. I'd say. Hang on, what? Never anything but good that can come from learning. You missed but the first time. Never anything good can come from learning. <laughs> but yeah, so obviously in a culture that's like got a very got a more specific kind of idea of fasting, mm. um, that then becomes like what they consider breaking your breaking fast. Breaking your fast. It's the evening meal once the sun's gone down. Yeah, so it was basically just like you would come together as a community um, to break your Sorm, I believe it's pronounced, or fast. Yeah. Um, and they would have instead, bef- instead of like their morning meal, they would have what's called suhu, which was basically just like something you ate before dawn. Okay. Um, that is cool. Yeah. In Japan, they it, it, like typically it'll be like miso soup or rice soup, something along those lines. Um, mm. In Lebanon, around like the oh, sorry, 1843, not 1823, the Bible Cyclopedia was published. But in Lebanon, they would uh, the like poorer people would eat raw leeks and bread. Oh wow! Uh, Austria likes was real into pastry in the 1600s. Invented the croissant, um, which actually wasn't adopted by France until uh, 1875. A part of their breakfast cuisine. Crazy! The French are stealing all sorts of things. Yeah. Same with the English, who were originally were doing, like, really simple breakfasts, but then... And then the English breakfast was born. Yeah, well, it it says that it's because, like, some doctors and stuff around that time started changing their minds, but I feel like the doctors around that time started changing their minds because that was around, like, the end of the 1500s, beginning of the 1600s. When there was more access to food. Yeah. To rich foods like sausages and eggs and... And when they were, like less, I guess, completely elitist in their culture and they, like, listen to other people at all for the first time and so, like, oh, all of our neighbours are eating breakfast. Maybe we should eat Maybe something. Maybe we should do this thing. Um, so then they started eating, like, a, like full breakfasts uh, in, like, after, like, the 1600s. Um, oh, sorry, the thief I was thinking of was not England. It was the United States who stole waffles in the 1620s from yes, the Netherlands. Yes, from, the ne- from Bel- Oh, no, it would be the Netherlands. It'd be Spanish Netherlands, well, which Netherlands. is these day, which Sorry, is did I not? day Belgium. Oh, I meant to say that the Netherlands, that waffle comes from a Dutch word, waffel, okay. uh, and they probably invented the waffle. Sorry, I meant to say that. Yes. Then, United States steals it. Um, and then they kind of like dick around for a little while. They try doing some, they try doing some fun stuff. They get like wacky with it. And then they're like, mm, no, nah. we don't like that. So then after Civil War, they were just like sandwiches for us. Where bland and boring. Um, and then they started eating popcorn with milk, which was like... That's like... Why? Why? But also, I guess that's that's the predecessor to cornflakes and rice bubbles. Well, yeah, because... So the reason that they started moving over into it was this, like, clean living movement that was happening around the, like, 18, the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, it was especially pioneered by, like, the likes of Dr. Kellogg. Uh huh. Um, because they, th- yeah, they thought that they kind of were going back to like the old Catholic view that was like overindulgent to have like this big extravagant breakfast, and they were like, "No, you, we need food because we on. know that we need food." Religious panic in the United States mm, doesn't Never. sound right. <laughs> um, so then Kellogg, in his attempt to make everyone, I mean, the perfect Aryan specimen. Let's be real. That's what he was on about. 
uh, decided that a simple breakfast of cornflakes would do for you and thus invented granola in 1878. And it kind of went downhill from there. Um, Excellent. I I love that in, in the attempt to be less decadent with our breakfasts, we've started consuming large amounts of milk in a morning meal. Mm. Like, that just strikes me as wild. And we immediately made up for it. Like, we saw our mistake instantly, and instead of just, like, returning to old breakfasts, they were just like, eh, we'll invent fruit juice. So then they just invented fruit juice at the beginning of the 1900s. So we got our extravagance from that instead. Oh, dear. Yeah. (laughs) So that's kind of... That's the history of breakfast. There you go. I hope that it was interesting and at all cohesive, because I kind of lost my mind there. That's all right. Yeah, well, basically... The, the next part of what we're going to talk about is pretty much just prevalent patterns. Just assuming that your characters are going to have a breakfast in the morning, so they are going to be eating in the morning, talking about what sort of meals that you're going to be having and how to construct it for your regions. Because realistically, we can't tell you what breakfast is going to be like in your, in your fantasy towns and your fantasy countries unless we know what they are already. So instead of that, we're just going to talk about some staples, um, maybe ways to construct it um, from the inside out. Mm. Um, it is very much similar to what we were talking about um, back when we looked at brewing, um, which is what is your local produce? That's going to be one of the largest um, contributing factors yeah. because realistically, um, we're not going to be shipping food from a long way away unless it keeps really well and not much does. <laughs> not without refrigeration. No, not without refrigeration um, unless you've got some sort of specialised Food preservation magic, God, uh, which I, would be a great spell. Yeah, I really, really love like a long-lasting cold spell on a little safe that turns it into like a deep freezer. You you could realistically do that. That's really cool. <laughs> a ma- magic item is just like a, a portable a portable freezer. <laughs> <laughs> love that. Um, so yeah, Lachlan's talked a little bit about some of the, the prevalent patterns that have showed up, a lot of the different meals that you're going to see. Um, and so realistically, the key pieces of your breakfasts, they're going to be based on a couple of different things and they're not necessarily going to have all four, but it's going to have some combination of these four. So mm. one that showed up a lot more than I expected is a beverage. Um, yeah. yeah, having hot teas, uh, in Asia and then in England, once it was imported over, um, coffees are very prevalent, yeah. um, in breakfasts. Um, in Turkey specifically, but all over the place, uh, they have showed up sometimes spiced um, and the same deal with alcoholic beverages. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it's interesting because um, it's, I think, kind of easy to miss in the like ridiculousness of banning breakfast. Um, but it's very clear from the history that as soon as breakfast started becoming more commonly accepted, even the English immediately added beer to it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, um, and which I guess is kind of a virtue of it being lots of like kind of dry, difficult kind of textures. Like you're dealing with like chewy meats and cheeses and like mm. dry grains and stuff. And remembering that this is, this is still a point in history uh, up until very recently, water wasn't really safe to drink. Mm. Um, oh, absolutely. So nothing was really safe to drink unless it was either alcoholic enough to... Like it had been brewed and so you knew it was alcoholic, it had been disinfected... Or um, that it was boiled. And yeah. so that's where you get soups, teas, and alcoholic beverages. And boiling stuff for a long time probably wouldn't have been as common as brewing, I'd imagine, just because 
they wouldn't have had good enough like filtration stuff to get enough out for boiling to be useful. So I guess that's another thing to consider is mm. it's like if you want to have like hot drinks with breakfast, that means that the water has to look clean for you to boil it or they have like a really uh, complex system of like evaporation. I um, mean, no, not- you would be absolutely, you would be shocked to see how reluctant human beings have been for the entirety of human history to drink water that looks dirty. And like all, all of all, half of our technological developments in terms of like survival were just humans being like, this looks gross as hell. <laughs> yes, but I'm also going to point you towards the gold rush where people drank insane amounts of tea because they would just get creek water, boil it, put a tea bag in it. And because it had a tea bag in it, you couldn't see the dirt and it was fine. That's fair. That's. Yeah. Disgusting, but I probably should have considered that people are disgusting. So. Yeah. So, like, teas and well. coffees, you can't probably can't see dirt as much. Oh, uh, and you could, like, excuse actual bits of dirt as, like, bits... Oh, yucky. Yep. And same deal with soups, um, because... Yucky! And so see, I knew that soup was fucked. <laughs> <laughs> like, conceptually. I've been, I've been against it from the beginning, and I've been proven right. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, what like, an insidious reason to create a food. Absolutely disgusting. Um, but if, if you look at, um, like, Japanese culture is a great one because they're still, miso soup is mm. right up the top in breakfast today. I mean, yeah. in everything. It's just like a, a consistent side. Mm. But, um, yeah, so having some sort of liquid with your breakfast is going to be quite a common theme. And one that I'd recommend having, um, you know, if you've got access to a lot of dairy, that's going to be fairly clean. Yeah. Um, I mean, even pre-pasteurization, if it's fresh from a cow, it's probably Clean enough. Yeah, well, because the thing is, if you're living in a world that's pre-pasteurization, it's not. It's only pre-pasteurization because they haven't realized that they should. So they would probably view milk as very clean. Exactly. Yeah, and the next bit is sort of having some sort of carbohydrate. Again, not necessary. Um, there are a lot of breakfasts that go without it. Mm. Um, even looking through what's seen um, just in my basic research, obviously this isn't any uh, Egyptian breakfast, but looking at it now, it's primarily made of fava beans. Uh, it's the biggest part. Mm-hmm. Um, there's maybe um, some flatbreads to eat with it, but it's not the core. Um, but yeah, having some sort of carbohydrate, whether it be a bread, whether it be a pancake, a pastry, or even a porridge. Um, yeah. And yeah. porridge, um, for those of you listening in Australia or England or the US, um, oh, I guess not so much the US because you've got corn porridges as well. Um, and, and polenta oatmeal. and that sort of stuff. But porridge doesn't necessarily mean oatmeal. Yeah. It's not always made on oats. It could be made with any grain. Uh, rice is a really popular one. Oats um, are, like, cheap and easy and make fairly consistently good porridge. But, like, I mean, just in, like, the history that I was looking at, most porridge was made with, like, wheat and barley for a long time. Yeah. Some of those, like, really, like, kind of core grains because there was a time where, like, they didn't have access to things like oats necessarily. Yeah. And speaking personally, one of the best breakfasts I've ever had was a rice porridge um, with fish. It was fantastic. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that was in Indonesia. Hmm. Yeah. But um, what we think of as, as our typical breakfasts in the West, absolutely not a common thing. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, because like, breakfast being like a simple kind of one thing affair, like just having like toast or just having cereal and stuff, really just was the result of like, Kellogg and the like Jacksonian clean living movement like mm. there was up until that point like breakfasts breakfasts were like vast and extravagant affairs if they 
happened. If they happened. Well, if it was your one meal of a day, you'd hope so. Yeah. Yeah, but that, that kind of goes on to the next bit. Is a bit of uh, a protein of some sort. Um, mm. Again, not always, but this is something that does tend to show up very regularly, mostly in the form of um, either beans or sometimes cheeses. They tend to be throughout history, a lot of the more common ones. Um, in Modern yeah. breakfasts, kind of from the 1500s onwards, that was when you'd see like meat and stuff as yeah, protein. Yeah, that's when you'd see meat and eggs start to show up a lot more often. Yeah. Um, a lot more reliance on like animal products and stuff. Yeah, but if animal products are expensive, which they would be, um, I mean, if you don't have mass cattle farming and, um, you know, if you don't have factory farming in some sort of way, animal products are going to be much more expensive, much harder to come by. Yeah, you would need to either be in like a fairly industrial or fairly market heavy or like agricultural hub. Yeah. Anyone else just like wouldn't have access to this stuff. So, At least not on a regular basis. Exactly. And so that's where, you know, you can have a bit of curds um, or maybe some beans or something like that. That's going to be easier to come by than yeah. meats or eggs. Um, or even that, just like fresher milk. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the last bit is sort of any local flavors that you put in. So um, we were talking about, I think, before... I'm trying to remember what we, what we mentioned on recording and off recording. We were talking about, for instance, like the like fruits and vegetables that were local to the mm. regions in like Northern Africa and stuff that yeah. they would put into their breakfasts. But if you look at like Lebanon, it would be leeks. Um, if we look I- at ancient Greece, it was figs and olives. Um, in North America, again, we'd be talking like maple syrup and stuff. Exactly. Um, in, uh, in Rome... We're looking at uh, raisins and nuts and um, olives again. Um, in and Africa, you've got... The, the kind of the key thing that you have to note with these things is that like these local flavours are things with glucose because obviously the glucose is the thing that gives you energy and the carbohydrates in my very minimal understanding of uh, nutrition science uh, help you sustain said energy mm. uh, on, on an ongoing basis. So it's like even before we knew what we were doing with diets... Uh, humanity's always kind of gravitated towards a healthier diet because they had a lot of time to practice. Yeah. So, like, most diets will include something with some sugar, some carbohydrate, as like, and some protein because, like, it, from a very, very early point in history, we recognize those things as essential to building enough energy to have, like, exactly. a hard day's work. Otherwise, we could just be eating leaves. Yeah, exactly. Like, actually, that's that's an important thing to mention. There's not a single thing here. Um, there's not a single breakfast that we've talked about that relies entirely on a basic plant product. No. It is, um, it's, you never see just, you know, a spinach or lettuce or kale or, you know, whatever local greens it is. There's always something else to it, something a little more substantial. Yeah, because, like, even um, in like the kind of early, very like cultural breakfast that they were having in like Africa, again, that I mentioned, just because it's the example that springs to mind, mm. which was very like local fruit and vegetable based, was still like a combination of like multiple different things and like some grains and like it, like even even cultures that leaned really heavily into like plant matter still had like a wide variety. Yeah. And so essentially... Uh, making sure you've you're kind of ticking at least a couple of the boxes as far as some sort of liquid, mm. um, a carbohydrate, protein, and something sweet or flavoursome. So incidental incidentals like that, and um, 
yeah, realistically, you've just got to ask a couple of different questions of where you are to figure out what breakfast is going to be like. So things like what is the regional produce and more specifically what's seasonal at the time that they're there? Um, what can the people afford? Not necessarily the adventurers because adventurers in the economy tend to be fairly rich yeah. compared to commoners. Uh, so think about what the commoners can afford and that's what they're likely to be serving. Because, and like going in like D&D terms, poor people in like a feudal era are getting like poor and squalid meals. They're not getting like your adventurer's like hearty meal of uh, a, a lamb shank and ale at a tavern, you know? Exactly. Although that could be your excuse for adventurers getting things that are typically not part of these historical breakfasts is you are just treating them like nobles in that they're paying more for the breakfast than the commoners and they're getting mm. the, the more expensive food. Well, and Because that, that's what they did in English history. Noble travellers got to eat breakfast. Exactly. But, um, yeah, if you think about what the commoners can afford, um, what is seasonal or regional, and then who is there in the establishment? Who is going to be eating there and who are they going to be catering for? Mm. And from those things... Um, you can pretty much figure out what produce is going to be around. And from there, that's where you create your breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's fairly simple. It's more just kind of like the people in the region that you have to consider. Because, yeah, like breakfasts are fairly consistent. We know what they're for and we know how to make them do their job. Yeah. So we know what foods we need to make sure that happens. Um, would you like to talk a little bit more about the specifics of dinner? Yeah. Me. Yeah, let's... So as far as making breakfast a part of... D&D as a part of your game. An interesting part of your game, specifically. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not just something that you want. You know, every morning we wake up, we do our, you know, your wizard does their hour of study, your monks and fighters and barbarians, they do their push-ups and pull-ups and crunches and all that. Mm. Um, and then we get together and we eat a meal and pay the gold for the meal, and then we set off on adventure. Yeah, because that's the sort of stuff that your players are at, at least eventually going to reduce to... Yeah, how much did it cost? Okay, let's just skip to us leaving. Yeah. Um, what you want instead is to help this like feel this world that you're creating like feel fleshed out. One of the best things you can do is take a look at like all of the nouns that you're giving to the that you're presenting to the players and like ask questions about it. So like something mm. like breakfast seems so trivial, but what happens if you're Elf Ranger does ask something about the local produce because they spent a lot of time in the wilderness scavenging. Yeah. And then your world's going to feel so much more fleshed out, so much more lived in to your players if immediately your tavern keeper has a response to that. Exactly. And, you know, one thing we've noticed... Well, not immediately necessarily, but, like, you know what I mean. But one thing I've noticed is we've covered is attitudes towards a morning meal change. Yeah. If you... You know, if your adventurers are used to coming down in the morning and having their morning meal, and then one day they, they arrive in a new town, they go down in the morning, and it's empty. Yeah. There's just nobody there. And you ask why. Maybe it's for religious reasons. Maybe it's something exactly like yeah, Catholicism where it's eating too early is a sin. Mm. Or perhaps it is the only meal that anyone has in a day, and everybody in the town is crammed into this hall. Yeah, because just because your adventurers, your like party may have the opportunity to like communicate long distance with like magic or whatever or travel really easily. Like these different like communities, these people who are like stuck in their homes wouldn't know much of like cultures even 
nearby them. So exactly. like one town to the next could have like vastly different like you could be shunned out of town for for, for your sin in one town and then walk half a walk half a day's down the road and be given breakfast complimentary with your room. Exactly. Um but yeah, if we fall into the trap of, you know, oh, breakfast is included in the board or it's just yeah, you show up, you eat breakfast, okay, let's go. Um, it's going to make it feel a bit run down. Mm. It's not going to be an important part of your world. It's the most mundane things being interesting is what makes a world feel real. That's exactly. what makes it feel organic. The yeah. interesting things can't be the only interesting things. Yeah. Breakfast has to be too. And it says something about the town, about mm. where you are. I mean, imagine you've been trekking around. If your hometown generally, you know, breakfast is... Um, a flatbread and some beans and maybe some spices on top. Um, it's got a little bit of ale. And then you go somewhere and they're serving a big old hunk of lamb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That means something. That's a really that's a that's going to be something significant that like your players are going to recognize. And the thing is, if you plan these like little mundane kind of everyday things, and it could be as easy as like just going through your day and writing down the things that you interact with just for like a couple days, and then just like get a general idea of what those things are. It's a way of just getting to to understand the most taken for granted parts of our world and making them interesting in the fantasy world because that's what we like. Um, role-playing games, in general, tend to be a form of escapism. Yeah. We, we do it to enjoy a different life. And so if you're just going about breakfast as a thing in your day, like you do in your everyday life, that's boring. Yeah. You don't want to be doing that. You can make it so much more interesting. It's, uh, a game's going to be a lot more rewarding if it feels less like you're playing a game and more like you're playing a role. Exactly. And that's, I guess, what we're about here at Dungeon Deep Dive is creating uh, creating these research questions for people to go in, check out, find out what's important to them and make it interesting. Because as many episodes as we can do about, you know, alchemy or various beasts or, you know, different parts of D&D lore or fantasy settings, it's going to be things like breakfast that are going to add that little bit of shimmer to your world that's outside of I draw my sword and attack. Mm. And like the big picture stuff, I th- I think is still very useful because I think it's I think it's just as important to have them all well defined. But I think even for like our purposes, our purposes of like delving into the minutia, I think that the 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 main value of dealing with things like alchemy in its broadest of senses is mostly useful because it points out all of the little things that needed to be done for people to do and think exactly. about alchemy. Like they had to. They had to care about medicine. Metals. They had to have metal. They had to, you know, um, be thinking about science. Yeah. Um, they had to be writing things down. Yeah. Um, God, I feel like we're just totally preaching to the choir. So I'm sorry if we are, but it's... Thank you to the choir. Um, we really appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for, thanks for being a choir, <laughs> I guess. Um, and with that... Are you, do you reckon we're ready to take a quick break um, and then talk about some plot hooks? The other thing I would just mention is, and I think, I think this is the thing that's going to make it most interesting in a specific D&D context, mm. is consider the different biology of the different, like, player races. Because, like, just because humans might eat, like, grains and meat and ale and fruit to get their, like, carbs and protein and glucose and whatever, like, I don't know, maybe dragonborns get their energy from, like, raw meat and, like, charcoal. Or maybe, like, yeah. elves 
co-evolved with their forest rather than like taking over the forest and like they eat they do eat leaves because like their their energy comes from chlorophyll rather than glucose. Or yeah, you could be um, complete herbivores or complete carnivores. You could have more omnivorous. Um, imagine having like your your aquatic races like a triton. If they come up and they start eating cereals, mm. that's going to be a problem because they're used to living in the depths in the plain of water. Yeah, they can't eat cereal. They don't know what milk is. Are so you they're kidding probably me? after something more protein heavy, like something a little more like a fish. Yeah, or maybe kelps and um, stuff like that. So they're going to be after plant matter and fish. Yeah, and and like you can kind of use diet and I guess breakfast is an example of diet, but I guess diet more broadly as a better signifier because there's so much in the D&D source books that's like everyone's racist to these guys and that's boring. It's shitty and like can we, why do you not just want to have a world where racism isn't a thing? So maybe if you want to have like differences between like like different fantasy races then like stuff like cultural differences and biological differences and stuff that aren't frowned upon necessarily. Yeah, if you want to create cross-cultural conflict, imagine walking into a city and you hate all of the food and the Mm. people are fine. Like, they're just people. But the food is terrible and you can't stand it. Mm. And, like, maybe the... Maybe you could even use stuff like this to justify some, like, previous misconceptions about people. Like, maybe orcs and stuff are frowned upon in part due to their diet of like bones and carrion and stuff which makes them seem at face value like they're warring but they actually just like they're just they're hunting like everyone else they're just preparing their food differently yeah um, or they're like scavenging or whatever if their food is particularly pungent if it's Mm. um, a little more like fermented then that's gonna feel really off to people who are used to fresh food, yeah, well, because a lot of a lot of like European um, food is as much about making it not look like the ingredients as it is about feeding you. Mm. Whereas, like, I don't know, maybe orcs don't care about that. Maybe orcs just like it gets eat, a side of, day. eat a hide of beef. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the sort of thing, and then you can get like really wacky with it. Have like Goliaths just like straight up eating rocks if you want. Which oh. is, I, I was about to say the same straight with, out of Zelda, with rock but gnomes. Yeah, yeah. Well, all that. Um, I don't know. It's just like I just think it, it's an interesting way to kind of like keep that dynamic between different types of creatures, mm. while still keeping it from like a very kind of just the difference is because it's an interesting difference, yeah. and like that's it exactly. So I, I that's a fantastic um, note to end this part on. Um, mm. I love that. So we're going to take Thank a quick you. break. We're going to have a discuss and see if we can bring a plot hook to you to something based on a uh, breakfast. Woo-woo. See you soon. And a welcome back. Yeah, we've just had a lovely discussion about a uh, little plot hook for you based on our morning meal. Yeah. Some 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 breakfast shenanigans. Exactly. So this one kind of relies on a little bit of um, your setting being built around uh, a morning meal. Yeah. Um, we've kind of created a sort of cultural hub. So this is probably best placed in a trading city. Yeah. In something where there is a lot of cultures coming through, visiting um, for various reasons. So it could be, I guess, trade or dip- diplomacy. And, and really just like, or even just like an inn at a crossroads or something, but mm. just like something that 
you could justify, assuming you have a setting where uh, different like fantasy races and different cultures and stuff are very distinct in their like locations, mm. then just like I don't know, any excuse you can come up with to get them all in one place. Exactly. Um, and trading seemed easiest. Yeah, trading's pretty easy. Um, and that's we're sort of playing on the idea that we were talking about before with different races potentially having different. Mm. Um, needs for, or at least cuisines. Yeah, different like physiological uh, like necessities in exactly. terms of their like diets. So like the idea of like elves eating leaves instead of meats, for instance. Mm. Um, I, I particularly like our aquatic races having something based on seaweed or kelp um, mm. with some fish and um, maybe something like a, a, a salted beverage. Yeah, well, because again, like the... The reason that we eat the things that we eat is because we evolved in the areas we did. Because human beings either evolved in Africa or in Africa and Asia. But those are like kind of the only two options. Pretty much. So like we had access to like vegetables and grains and stuff. Um, but someone deep in the ocean isn't. Someone deep in a cave isn't. Someone wherever just may not have those things. Exactly. So the, And the physio- physiology in different humanoid races is... So different. Mm. It's oh, so distinct. Absolutely. I mean, dragonborns literally are not mammals. They're reptiles. Yeah. I mean, we're working with um, tritons, which are fish. Yeah. They are just, they're fish. Like, y- you think that the difference between, like, your diet and, like, your cat's diet is insane. Just wait till you see the difference between the diet of you and some, like, deep cave-dwelling beast that's never seen the sun. Exactly. You guys are going to eat some different things. <laughs> yeah. So the idea is we've got sort of like a cultural hub in the middle of the of the city where yeah. you can get your, your favourite cuisine. You've got people there who are making street food of their homes. Yeah. So, so, we're, so we're dealing with like a local kind of constant population that's like a wide variety of people but also just like people passing through for trade and stuff so it's like this nice kind of safe place where they can kind of just like go and have something of home and exactly get a good meal before they start a busy day imagine a a large markets with a number of tables uh, just long tables to sit at and eat your meals Hmm. and this is sort of where communities will gather in the mornings because this is a common meal before the traders set off yeah. and before people go about their daily work. Perhaps drawing on the um, Islamic tradition of breaking breaking one's fast with their community, mm. even. Um, and then, so we've got all these like people coming together and they would probably, the most practical meal to have, especially a meal specifically tailored to your exact like energy needs, uh, would make most sense in this era as being a breakfast because people probably didn't have enough money to buy multiple meals a day. So if they're like consistently going to a place like this, then it would be the most practical meal that they could buy. Exactly. And that's where everyone meets up. You sort of have communities of similar cuisines will get mm. together and they'll, they'll share food. Um, yes. Yeah. That's what it was. It was a, a big ordeal. Yeah, and maybe like wealthier folk are there for like meals throughout the day or whatever. But for the most part, it would be like the working folk, the ma- the like majority of the population would probably just be eating breakfast here and like eating at home, which 
Seems like a good setup until, dun-dun-dun, the evil preacher, Kevok, which is not based on anyone's name any, at all. Any similarity or likeness to people living or dead is purely coincidental. <laughs> and Kevok is um, a big fan of a religious moral panic um, and decides, no, we shall not eat before noon. Um, and then using his great wealth uh, from all of his uh, generous donors, he mm. is able to lobby the city officials to outlaw breakfast and shut the market down. Because it is sinful to eat too early in the day. Yeah. And um, I mean, obviously you can do whatever you want with his motives. I mean, Maybe he really just straight up does think it's sinful. Maybe yep. it's... Maybe it's more politically minded at, you know, uh, working with this community meal and working against it yeah yeah it could be it could be anything from the bible actually says so all the way to he's like sowing dissent and fracturing local communities to bolster the influence of his church like it could literally be anything moral panics are fun because they're always stupid until after you've stopped thinking about how stupid they are like generations down the line Mm. so like you can kind of just get wacky with it because by the time it sets in People just won't think about it anymore. But, like, the idea that not eating cereal is sinful was probably really stupid when it was first said by someone whose name I can't think of. Yeah, no, some some mysterious figure. Um, but, yeah, you can kind of think up whatever motives you want for this um, to create some intrigue um, and whether or not you want to go along with the new changes or if you mm. want to reverse them, if you want to also lobby the city, the city or, you know, figure out what, this uh, mysterious figure's up to. Yeah. That's up to, to you in your world building and to your party and their actions. Yeah, and because maybe the party's going to look into, like, exposing this for the nefarious act that it maybe is. Maybe the party's just going to go and cut his head off and yep. go up to the city and say, we'll do this to you too. Like, that's... Parties do whatever. Um, I like having things like this be a uh, little bit more broad. Yeah, nice and open-ended. Yeah, it gives you gives you some kind of room to breathe, which I think in something that I think could be quite a creative like plot hook. Yeah, we hope you've enjoyed what we've come up with for you and uh, some of the things we've talked about as far as our meals. I'm sure a lot of it we're going to be touching base on again when we talk about different topics. But uh, this is a really great place to start is with the morning meal, especially given yeah. uh, how often it'll appear with adventuring parties, given they are starting their day and then going out and doing stuff um, or just that it's become such a cultural norm in the West. Yeah. Oh, and I would flag that the specific reason that uh, I would personally suggest like outlawing eating before noon rather than outlawing foreign cuisine is like, I just think it's a more interesting hook. Mm. Quite frankly, like it seems it's a more inscrutable act. And again, it just like avoids those like trappings of like just getting into a story about fantasy racism, which is like... Fantasy racism is old hat and boring. It's played out. Yeah. We should be... We've we've all decided that racism is bad. We should now be envisioning worlds without it. Yeah. And trying to come up with ways to create conflicts that are not based specifically around racism mm. or class differences. Normalize the idea that that's not all there is to talk about. Yeah. Um, And with that, um, leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify. Uh, You can reach our socials uh, at Dungeon Deep Dive on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or deepdivetnc at gmail.com if you would like a little more more of a personal kind of response. And 
I think, yeah, with that, with that, we're going to call it a day. So thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Farewell. The TV shows we watch say a lot about ourselves. Like how political dramas allow Kurt to escape from real-world politics. And how Jane's obsessed with identity themes in teen drama. (laughs) It can be tricky to work out why we love the things that we love. And that's why we started the podcast, Made You Look. Bothers me in superhero shows. Right. I don't know why. Each week we pick an episode of one of our favourite TV shows and force the other person (laughs) to watch it. Sometimes we actually manage to convince each other that these shows are great. I really appreciate that it could be super expository without being super expository. And sometimes we, mostly Jane, uh, pulls them to absolute pieces. Hey, you can't just hang a lantern on it and expect me not to notice that that's a dumb plot point to get you from A to B. It's always a pretty fun time. And sometimes we discover new things about ourselves, our friendship, or something about the media we consume. Oh, our friendship. Yeah. (laughs) Come find us. Made You Look is now available on the That's Not Canon podcast network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.